This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, and happy November, because here we are on my first ever November show. I almost can't believe it's November. I feel like it's just been the summer holidays, and somehow we're already speeding towards, dare I say the C word, uh, Christmas is just a few weeks away. I keep seeing people saying on social media, only so many Mondays to go or so many sleeps till Christmas that I'm definitely not ready for that. I have not bought a single present. Um, I went up to Manchester the weekend and saw um, some of my old uni friends, which is very, very cool. It was a wedding of one of the girls that I lived with when I was training to be a teacher, uh, Emma, shout out to Emma and Ian, the newlyweds. And when I was training to be a teacher, I went to um, Edge Hill Uni up in Ormskirk, up in Lancashire, absolutely beautiful part of the world. Uh, the first time I'd kind of gone above um, the middle of England, I ended up just heading there to go to university and met the most amazing people and lived with a group of wonderful girls and as I say one of them got married this last weekend just gone so had the pleasure of heading up to Manchester um, and this getting back onto the track of the story I was going to tell you is that one of my other amazing uni friends Sam told me that she's finished her Christmas shopping now she is a very organized girl hence why she makes an amazing teacher and she's now an assistant head and hopefully a future guest on Teachers Talk Radio as I was uh, spreading the good word of Teachers Talk Radio over our wedding drinks. Um, but yeah, she told me she's done all her Christmas shopping and I kind of felt some slight panic that I haven't eaten. It's not even dawned on me that I need to start doing my Christmas shopping. So I don't know about you listening. Uh, is Christmas on your radar yet if you celebrate? Certainly for me, no. Although I've got the advent calendars. So I feel like that's a start and that gives that illusion that I'm ready. <laughs> I'm definitely not ready in the Gibson household. Um, but morning, morning to everyone listening. Morning, David. He's given me a gold medal already this morning. That's very kind. Um, how's the walk to the studio? Cold. It is very cold here in um, Essex and London today. I've had my woolly hat, my new boots, and I was very happy because um, I've got a new pair of um, like fluffy boots and I was worried. Uh, they're like suede. I was worried they're going to get ruined in the rain. But it is not raining, I can confirm, here um, in Essex today. So I'm very happy to be wearing my new boots and not getting totally soaked. Although, looking up at the sky right now, it looks like anything could happen. And I'm sure the rain will be back to rain on everyone's firework parade, <laughs> no doubt, over the weekend. Um, but welcome everyone listening in. No, David. David has just told me in the chat that it's seven weeks to Christmas. I I can't accept that. I'm not ready for Christmas films yet. Um, but rest assured, once 1st of December comes, I'll, I'll be immersing myself in all things festive. Um, but yeah, anyone else listening, do feel free to use the chat as well if you want to type anything in there. We've got our guests joining in just a few minutes, Benjamin Madison. And if you want to ask any questions to Ben, if you're listening live, you can type them in the chat as well. Um, but rather an interesting topic for today, because we're going to be talking about um, the importance of research and the importance of research in education as well. And I think often, often as a teacher, you know, we kind of think we know what works, particularly through trial and error. 
I mean, in any job, we figure out what works, don't we, through trial and error. And I think as a teacher, your experience and, and your lived experience is a key one. But today I'll be chatting to Ben about the role of evidence in our practice. So the, the title for today's show is Evidence Informed Practice. And we'll explore what that really means, what how Ben interprets that. And he'll be telling us about his journey as a teacher and kind of how research and evidence have played a part in that. Um, ben will be joining us shortly. I know he's just on his way. But in the meantime, um, I wonder if you're doing anything for, for Bonfire Night. I'm kind of, I'm torn because I was just looking at fireworks displays uh, before I started my show with you today. I was looking at different fireworks displays around the area. And then I realised, actually, I probably just need to be home because I was then thinking about the dog the ferret I mean it'll be Flo's first fireworks goodness knows what she'll think of them although um if you know ferrets you'll know they were absolutely fearless creatures and she like she stands off to my dog my dog which is about a two-ton German shepherd um she's absolutely fearless I'm sure Flo won't mind the fireworks um but I've decided I'll probably need to just stay home with my Nova, uh, my dog, because she might be a little bit nervous. So I don't think any fireworks displays for me this year. But if you're doing anything nice, do feel free to let me know and I can live through you. <laughs> you can you can listen back to this episode on the way uh, to your fireworks display and I feel like I'm there in the car with you. Um, but very excited because I've seen our guest has just come into the studio. So good morning, Benjamin Madison. Hey, Poppy, how are you doing? I'm good. Can I'm so me? happy. I can hear you perfectly. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, loud and clear. Yes. Well, you know, Ben, if you've listened to Teachers Talk Radio before, you'll know our main stress as a host is whether the guests will join. So <laughs> I'm, I'm already right. very... Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but you're here, you're here. How's your week been, Ben? Oh yeah, really good, interesting. Um, I've been lecturing on Monday and Tuesday, childhood uh, early, well, but childhood as a social construct, um, and looking at creativity and learning. I got to do some RE this week, which is my home subject. So that is oh nice, very yeah. good. Other than that, balancing it with the um, as you know well, um, the, oh the challenges of a new puppy. Yes. So firstly, this is shock news to me, Ben, because I did not know there's a puppy and I need to know everything, as do our listeners. Uh, Please tell us everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rolo is a 13-week-old uh, working Cocker Spaniel. Um, and, oh. and we are trying to work out his operating manual at the moment. Um, I have not had dogs before. My wife has. Um and so I've been relying on her to tell me what to do and what not to do. Um, I'm listening, listening to a lot of podcasts, reading some books, and generally taking two steps backwards and one step forward. I don't know. I, we're, we're definitely stepping. The, the puppy has a limited range of emotions. They're, they go in a cycle and you just have to read the room. Right now, I've lined up some treats and snacks for him. So as soon as he starts to look my way, he gets he gets some distractions thrown at him. We've got to work <laughs> for the next hour. Well, Ben, we love having dogs uh, also come as our guests on the show. So do not worry. If Rolo wants to speak up, he is more than welcome. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, yeah, definitely. I think oh, but it. huge congratulations. That is really lovely news on a Friday morning, Ben. Congrats to you and your Absolutely. wife. 
on your your oh, I'm sure very uh bouncy bundle of joy. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The arrival of little hairy pattering feet. Wonderful. Oh, it's the most wonderful thing in the world. Oh, I'll look forward to hearing your puppy journey as you go through the next of few months. <laughs> of course, I'll keep you updated. <laughs> um, and we've got one of one of our uh, one of our veteran listeners, David, um, has said, "Let's get Rolo and Nova on the line." David, let's hope they don't. But as I say, <laughs> if if they do, they're welcome. But let let's hope um, they're snoozing through the show today. But Ben, let's get cracking, then. So you mentioned you've had okay. a good a good week lecturing. So right. you're a lecturer. And yeah, so, let's uh, let's dig into that. Let, how did you get okay. to this point? Are you happy to share your career journey with us? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I started as a, I got an RE teacher. I did a PGCE in um, secondary RE teaching back in 2005. I'd done philosophy at uni and I had I had done a bit of globetrotting by that point, I guess. I'd spent a year out studying in Sydney and that had really opened my eyes to the kind of the breadth of um, education and academia and all the things that there are out there and um, so when I when I got back I wasn't really sure what I was going to get into and it took me into the world of RE as with some, some clear links from philosophy into religion I felt like I only had half the story and I, uh, I started teaching back in my hometown of, um, of South End Essex um, uh, but back in 2000 uh, the, yeah the end of uh, mid 2005 I guess and then um, found my way into um, uh, I, I guess it was, I was one of the old, in, in, in old language, the advanced skills teacher. So before lead practitioners and, and excellent teachers, there was advanced skills teachers, which was government sponsored program. Um, and the local authority used to kind of send me into schools. I didn't really want to get into management. I didn't want to go into leadership at that time. Mm -hmm. um, I did subsequently, uh, but I was really interested in teaching and learning what works in the classroom. Um, and so I spent some years doing that before heading up to London to help set up a free school. Um, in, in West London that was really exciting, really challenging. Um, and then, uh, and then I, I kind of got into um, uh, teacher training, um, working with a skit, um, and that sort of took me into back into higher education. I'd done my, my master's in education through Anglia Ruskin some years ago. Um, oh, wow, wow, so I did not know that. Okay, we'll come back to that. I'm going to benchmark that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and I guess that's how I got to know ARU. And then I got back into kind of talk, working and talking to ARU through working for a skit. Um, and, then, and by that time I was kind of balancing lots of different roles. I was back in a school working on COVID recovery, um, mm. and uh, as well as doing little bits of consultancy work here and there, I try and keep some um, sort of a company in the RE world. Um, and then um, and then ARU just kind of came up as a, as a more sort of full-time option. So. I think, and I'll probably talk about this later, but the, I think we, we, we always try and base what we're doing on, you know, on, on the facts, right? We, we try and make good decisions based on the information available to us. And I think that I felt I spent many years talking to teachers about, you know, what, what works in education and what they can do. And I, and I realised that the well was starting to run dry, you know, in, in terms of my mm -hmm. engagement with, with um, the, the, like the coal face of research, like the original data. And I felt like I was getting more and more distance from it. So... I had a kind of an option. Was I going to go back into educational leadership in a mm -hmm. school or, or was I going to try something totally different? And, and, and so that's what I've done. I've taken a big risk, I guess, um, uh, with, mm -hmm. with this interesting side what's, you know, step into, into higher education. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm loving it. It's great. And I really am getting a chance to re-engage with, 
um, primary research, um, you know, either reading it or, 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 or potentially doing it. Fantastic. Wow. Wow. And this is quite a journey, like in taking you around the world as well. How cool is that? And en ending up back in Essex. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, mean, I was in Mongolia last month, and um, wow, uh, I've done quite a lot of good work through it. It's Cambridge Education are, um, are some people that I do a little bit of work for, from now. And, and every now and again, they like to run international conferences looking at teacher training, and particularly I look at metacognition and active learning. Um, and every now and again, they send me somewhere nice and exciting. So I think that's, that's what's really kind of kept my passion for mm -hmm, mm -hmm. finding out what's going on, what's working, what's going on around the world. Um, and I'm always running one or, one or more online forums, kind of discussing that with international teachers. So I, again, wow. it all sounds a little bit more lofty than perhaps it is. Um, <laughs> it, it, it sounds amazing and just just a little bit of a backstory um, for our listeners is that actually so Ben and I do lecture at the same um, institution and I must say you you all know listeners that I am a very positive enthusiastic person my students have confessed they think Ben is <laughs> the only person they met who's more enthusiastic and passionate than me so <laughs> I think this this next this next 45 minutes is going to be very spicy with two very passionate educators. <laughs> they met... I mean, you've, you've, you've either got to feed off of the room that makes you all excited, <laughs> or you've got to carry the room, so you have to turn up the excitement even further. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, it, it was certainly meant as, as a compliment for you, Ben. But yeah, they, they said they were surprised to um, to find someone more more enthusiastic than I am. <laughs> so you get a gold star for that. <laughs> um, so, Ben, today I know we're going to be talking about um, how important this research and evidence is as part of our practice. And if it's OK, I've kind of just got a, a list of questions to ask you today. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I, I'm, I'm no doubt I'll, I'll hijack them and take them somewhere else. But uh, let's, let's certainly start with where you'd like to end, to end up. Okay, let, let me ask one like question and then, yeah, then yeah. you can ramble for that'll, the next show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, perfect. So I guess let's let's jump in. The The theme of today's show is, is evidence-informed practice. Can you maybe tell yeah. us what, what that really means, Ben? Well, the, the start is we can't call it evidence-informed practice. We have to call it research-informed practice. Um, I guess that to start to start off, we should talk some semantics because you know, once upon a time, we, we talked about evidence-based practice, and that was what what people were, were referring to when they were thinking about what works in education. And mm -hmm. I think that there's been some rethinks about what we mean by that because I think that evidence and based points it suggests to us that there are some like lot of some. Um, hard establishable facts that we should be basing what we do off of and i think there's some truth in that but what that forgets to uh to keep in mind is that we have to base what we're doing entirely on the demographic of, of people that we're working with and, and and most of the time students that are in front of us or mm -hmm. environment that we're in so i think the shift towards referring to research informed is probably a really helpful one i know we're just in semantics here but um, but yeah, I think it's worth worth clarifying. And um, uh, you could oh, and the, the people to to have a look at there. I mean, the, the, the Charles College of Teaching. Oh, I think we've just lost Ben for a moment there. <laughs> he's he's wandered off. Ben, if you are happy to come back towards your Wi-Fi router. Um, 
Oh, sorry. Hello, you got me again. I have. Hello. Hi, we can All hear right. you. Apologies. <laughs> there was there was a puppy related incident that uh, involved a quick run towards the back door. Um, it, it's thankfully over now. Um, we we missed that boat. We missed that boat. Um, so uh, I was just banging on really about the Charter College teaching and how there's been a. Have you got me? Yeah, we can hear you. <laughs> yeah, okay, sorry, Mark, I, I had a bit of a point out there. Um, yeah, I, I think that the people that I really look to for, for a discussion about this, the Charter College of Teaching, which have been, been around since I think 2015 now, um, who are really working hard to bridge the, the gap between, um, or the, you know, the, the apparent gap between uh, research and what happens in classrooms. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's probably where, where I look for, for a lot of my... Um, my guidance and my discussion about those kinds of ideas. I think they're probably the people to look to, but they're sort of championing of the concept of research informed rather than evidence based. Uh, but mm -hmm. what do we mean by that? That was what you asked for. You what do we mean? Um, <laughs> yes. I think it, I think what we, what we mean is is thinking about what what's the reason for doing what we're doing. And I know that that seems like a really straightforward question when you're planning a lecture or planning a lesson or or anything in schools. Or universities, but I think it's 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 having a reason, a clear line of reasoning, and being able to point at something outside of yourself, um, which helps to underpin the choices that you're making about what goes on. Very well, that's my potted I mean, definition. <laughs> if that's a potted definition, <laughs> no, that that was really clear. That was really clear. Thank you, Ben. And so, I guess the next question I want to ask you then, because because I agree with everything that you're saying. Um, why do you think we see an increased emphasis of this in initial teacher training and beyond? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna roll roll back um, to <laughs> to the previous question a little bit here, um, and I think it's it's probably worth kind of going uh, going back into a little bit um, and just looking at um, the emergence of a emphasis on using research in, in, in classrooms. And I'm going to I'm going to think about my own practice rather than keeping trying to keep really broad here. But I think that um, for, for me, when I first got into teaching, so in 2005, there was a program called Leading Edge. And this was designed to get teachers to, to focus in on uh, it was promoting excellence, really, in classrooms. And, and that drew quite heavily on the work of uh, Guy Claxton and building mm -hmm. learning power. Um, and Guy Claxton's still somebody that, that, that you know, has, has a, a strong presence today. Um, but building learning power is what really kind of kicked that off. Uh, and that was the idea of like, resilience and resourcefulness, the, the four R's, um, and, and teaching uh, children um, how, to, how to use those words and deploy those skills effectively, as well as teachers. So mm -hmm. that was kind of inviting, inviting the, the end user, the, the, the child, into, into the, the, the research environment there was also a push around the same sort of time um uh, on using children as researchers uh and so there were a lot of projects going on in schools back in like the mid the mid noughties um getting children to eng engage with research and to understand the skills of the researcher mm -hmm. and i think that, that kind of started things moving and then and and then after that um we saw uh, the emergence around about the same well, I, I think I think Dylan Dylan William put William and, and Black the the Inside the Black Box series started to get some real traction because 
at that point, it had started to find its way into um, the, the teacher's toolkit and, and a lot of other um, government sources. So the concept of assessment for learning like sort of all took off. And so we started really listening to, I think, perhaps, there, I, I guess that Dylan William was and still is like an early kind of um, pop star researcher, right? Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, you could like draw big crowds with names with, with, with his name. And, and around that same time, although she'd been writing for a really long time and, and um, self theories, I think was first published in, in, in 1999, Carol Dweck and the concept of growth mindset mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. just kind of exploded onto the educational scene. And suddenly people were, were really interested in, in what was going on, what was working in classrooms. Um, and then that got kind of turbocharged by uh, John Hattie's Visible Learning um, and yes. the, um, the, the saucily titled um, a meta-analysis of 800, oh no, hang on, a synthesis of 800 meta-analyses. Um, but that that idea, like, and, and, and I, I do love a pithy soundbite, although you can pull them apart <laughs> quite easily, and, and I had one of mine pulled apart the other day. Um, but but the idea that Hattie used 20 million pieces of data to, to, co you know, to come up with what works in education, crikey, mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds, that sounds appealing, doesn't it? And the fact that that draws upon you know, there's, uh, on, on data from all around the world is so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it gave it gave people uh, insight into, hang on a minute, like this guy's working out of New Zealand. What sort of stuff happens in New Zealand? And mm -hmm. then it turns out that New Zealand have got this incredible educational team um, in terms of research. And because of like the, the indigenous Maui population being like, so, so prioritized by, by, by New Zealand. So and there's this, I mean, Anyway, the, 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 it, it gave rise to, I think, a lot of questions and, and interested, uh, interested people and, and ideas that, that then you can't really engage with teacher CPD without bumping into to Hattie's um, uh, um, effect sizes. And, you know, you can pull that algorithm apart, but I think that's why, why it's there. It's designed mm -hmm. to start discussion. Um, so I think that this is, and now, of course, we've had like, a, we're now in this next wave where, um, wherever you go in education, you hear Daniel Willingham, uh, why don't students like school and the idea of like, wow, a, a cognitive psychologist, like telling us what works. And, you know, consciousness is, is of course, something that we, <laughs> we can't explain it despite the Daniel Dennett's work. Um, but, but now we're, we're seeing Willingham, we're seeing uh, Tom, you know, Tom Sherrington and Oliver um, Caviglioli's uh, walkthrough series is, is like underpinning a great deal of teacher development at the moment, the push for instructional coaching being something mm -hmm. that mentors across the country are all engaging in. Like we've got we've got our kind of our, our next set of uh, uh, educational theorist pop stars emerging. Um, and, and, <laughs> and I think um, that this is this is perhaps leading to a really exciting time in education, although although maybe not, because maybe there's some darker forces at hand here when when we're pushing these these, these educational theories as we might get onto a little bit later so mm -hmm. i think like that's my that's my sort of that's my potted history of um where we're up to in terms of evidence informed practice i think we're seeing it in initial teacher training we're seeing it in um 
the the um, early career training year one and two we're seeing in yeah, all yeah. Of the NPQs the national professional qualifications for teachers whether people are specializing in you know behavior leading teaching or or later in their career looking at um, senior leadership headship or executive headship it's all being based upon uh, a common set of really interesting um, uh, findings from the EEF from uh, deans for impacts the kind of US-based equivalent um, and the people uh, previously mentioned um, now, but you asked Poppy, why is there an increased emphasis in ITT? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the original. Yeah, but no, I think yeah, asked, I think the, <laughs> it needs a prefix. It needed a prex. And and uh, <laughs> and the and the and the answer to that question is teacher is partly teacher retention, I think. Um, yeah. or I think that's a fact actually. The EEF are putting some time into the Educational Retirement Foundation from which we get really good understandings of, of what's going on in the, in the educational sphere. And what I would say is even better resources for teachers and classrooms and summaries of research. Um, mm -hmm. But, but, but the, the, so the EEF are doing some work into teacher retention at the moment for obvious reasons, because the landscape is, is pretty terrifying. Um, and, and also, uh, I think that the, there's an increased emphasis on, on research because of the issues that have been emerging in schools um uh, for, for some time but that covid has has shone a light on and, mm -hmm, and i'm talking mm -hmm. particularly about attendance um, and mental health no definitely i think you're right and i think part of it came from when you were giving us that very detailed history of uh you know theorists because like you say we looked at people that were working in other parts of the world such as new zealand you mentioned and we know don't we ben that when you're a teacher in a school you're very much in this bubble. It can feel quite isolating. You know, you're working within the boundaries and policies of your school. But that's why I think it's so important. Teachers are always looking outward. That we're seeing what are other teachers doing that's working well. Obviously, social media is a great way to be inspired. But behind that, you know, that surface level inspiration and the beautiful classroom, we need something substantial, don't we? We need something of substance. And that's where research comes in, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're really right to mention, to mention social media as being a fabulous kind of shop window display, like a, a hook. Um, an example I used this week was uh, Mark Hayes. So, so Mark Hayes has got a, a website and a blog and, and also is very active on, on, on um, uh, social media. And Mark Hayes has, and what I know him for, is these wonderful summaries of the Ofsted review series. So Ofsted have done reviews into um, all of the academic subjects over the last sort of three years and published those and reports run in at about 30 pages and they're brilliant um, but sometimes you know and as I say to my students maybe you haven't got you know you, you want to be a primary school teacher you, you you can't be an expert in everything you've got to pick your battles um, so maybe mm -hmm. you're not going to read all of the Ofsted review series but maybe what you could do is read Mark Hayes summary or if you only had 30 minutes, maybe you want to read Mark Hayes's summary of his summary, which is a lovely infographic type, um, uh, really engaging visuals uh, mm -hmm. that, that get to the heart of, of you know, it, and it summarises it. But the, And that's wonderful, right? That's a nice way in. But the, the, the mm -hmm. problem, of course, is immediately is you've already distanced yourself three times from the original information. Yes. Further. Like a Chinese so whisper. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're so far, so far removed. So I, I think that the quick answer to how could you like quickly re-engage is again something that I've been promoting to my students this week, which is registering with TeacherTap. So TeacherTap um, is a, a, an app which um, 
sends you three questions each day. They say it takes 52 seconds to answer those three questions. Um, and I would agree with that. Um, and they, they have um, regularly, they have, I think, eight to 10,000 teachers each day contributing to that. And what it means is that, although that number doesn't seem huge, what that means is they are every day getting uh, like a kind of finger on the pulse barometer reading of what's going on in schools. Mm -hmm. um, and that information then um, informs work done by um, the, the, the uh, Chartered College of Teaching. So uh, it then gives them um, areas to, to, to explore further and to dig into to, un to understand traits in education. It feeds into um, uh, people like the, um, the um, oh, Scott mental, mental block there, oh, like the Pearson Report. So post COVID, the, the launch of the Pearson Report 2022, which looked at, it drew heavily on teacher tap data in order to kind of understand what priorities were for teachers within schools. It's really mm -hmm. fascinating reading, mm -hmm. big insights into global learning and, and, and mental health and so on. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a way, that's a quick way that anybody could immediately start engaging with actually contributing to original research that then, you know, you, you can then see that emerging over the months and years to come. The, um, the Charter College of Teaching have, a, have a, a weekly podcast where they often have guests from TeacherTap talking about data emerging from schools. So that's a really mm -hmm, good thing. Mm -hmm. You be in the car and just listen to a 10-minute podcast that would just suddenly throw you into the midst of real-world data and, and how that's being interpreted by a big organisation like the Charter College. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, really good advice. And I think what's so important, I like that you mentioned, you know, podcasts as a way to get information because I think we know teachers are so busy and you don't have time to sit and read a whole journal article. I mean, even my students who they're technically meant to be reading all the time, they'll say, I haven't got time to read a, 20, a 24 page article. So I think that's why it's so important that we appreciate you don't have to always sit and read. And actually I see a secret here, listeners don't, don't tell um, anyone, but I often say to my students, I don't think I've ever read a journal article word for word because that's not what research is about you don't need to read every single word and those of us that obviously written for publication I know that my, my actual key message is, is maybe 4,000 words but that the journal wants it to yeah. be 7,000 so so half of it is filler right half of it is background literature review of what's out there so we need to also read smarter don't we as well as reading widely and, li and listening to research it's really about reading more smartly yeah, absolutely. I and mean, when I first started getting into research, it was the first thing that kind of piqued my interest was back when I was training. I had these two fantastic um, PGCE leaders, Jeff Teese and Mike Grimmett. And Grimmett is, is known for kind of the, the, the godfather of pedagogy in our, maybe, maybe I'm giving him that name, uh, but you know, <laughs> of RE. And, it was, and, and, and they were both heavily research informed in terms of how they were presenting ideas and, uh, and concepts in Birmingham. You know, I, I, I would take anyone to task over who didn't say that Birmingham in the early noughties was an exciting place to be. But it, was, it certainly drew upon some good quality research. Um, and and when, I, but when I started teaching, I, I, I subscribed to, uh, through some of the, the work I was doing, um, uh, BJET, uh, the British Journal of Educational Technologies, because my dissertation was all about emerging technology and interactive whiteboard use. Um, and mm -hmm. also the British Journal of Religious Education. The thing is, though, that like, like you say, Poppy, like only some of those articles were in, of interest to me. 
and only some parts of some of those articles. So having some, a way to find your way through, to find what's useful, but you've got to know when to stop, haven't you? Because, you know, if you look at interviews with Dylan William, who's, when he talks about the government's adaptation, adaptation, we talk about several governments removed, so I can, you know, I can say what I like now. Um, <laughs> adaptation of assessment for learning. He says, he used the word boulderize, which I didn't know at the time, right? And do you know what boulderization is, Poppy? Has, no, tell us. Have come across that before? Okay, so Thomas Boldler was um, uh, responsible for, a, in the 19th century, a book called The Family Shakespeare. And um, this was sanitising Shakespeare, taking out all the saucy bits um, for, a, for a family audience, right? So he ripped the guts out of Shakespeare to make it more palatable to the sensibilities of the people of the day. And, and this is what William, uh, Dylan William um, uh, suggests has been done to the concept of assessment for learning. And I think that that's where we have to, like, we have to know where to stop in terms of, you know, uh, taking uh, big research and, and, and boiling it down into something that's really easy to, to communicate to somebody else. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you get, you get to real difficult semantic issues like the concept, you know, he, he, he bemoans the, the use of the word assessment with assessment for learning, which he never called it assessment for learning, because it, it, it focuses your eye on the wrong bit about yeah. assessment for learning. Assessment for learning yeah. is knowing your students and where they're at and where they need to get to next. Assessment makes us think about exams. So yeah. I think we need to be really, like, we need to be so cautious, we need to know where to stop, but that's difficult. I think that involves, you need to be research literate, don't you? You need to actually have had to suffer through so some methodologies you wish you hadn't read in order to know how to pick your way through that landscape in the future. You can't just fast forward to the mm -hmm. people sound soundbite. Exactly. It's so true. And I think you're very right with saying how we need to be more active in that. Like my students who obviously, or our students, Ben, who most of them want to go on to be a teacher, you know, they're doing their dissertations at the moment. So I run the dissertation module and I'll say to them, you know, you're planning your project. Maybe then once you're in school, you'll do some action research or you'll want to go on to do a master's. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, I won't. And I'm like, but you might. And you really should <laughs> want to. Yeah, uh, but, you know, sure. at the moment they're, they're, over, they're overwhelmed with, you know, finishing their degree and getting started. But that's what we need. We need teachers who are researching, don't we? We need teachers as researchers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's, there's some great ways to, you know, to, to get into that. There's always projects running. The EEF now are obviously doing a great deal of that, and they've got you know, sets of schools that they particularly use. But there's, you know, there's great pots of funding out there. I learned quite early, I think, in my career that, you know, if you, if you look in the right places, there's a great deal going on out there, whether it be through the British Council and going and visiting schools uh, to find out what's going on around the world, whether it be through uh, you know small scale initiatives, I say smallish scale initiatives, initiatives like the, the Global Learning Program that ran for a few years ago. And prior to that, my first was through Vector. Um, so uh, my, my I only sprang on about Vector, which were responsible for channeling um, money, um, government money. They were Quango, so they were, gov they were channeling government money for, for education um, into sorry for IT effectively. It was all mm -hmm. about technology at school. So I got to contribute towards some of their research, invite them to my school, they made some other videos. And it was just about kind of just, just you're having the right chats with the right people and getting yourself immersed in that world, really. Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. just led to so many exciting kind of thoughts and ideas and opportunities. But there's what, the, the, the summary there is that there's, there's always stuff going on. And, and I think action research, like there's all, 
if you, if you get involved in like a, 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 an MPQ, any kind of qualification that you're trying to work towards, or just being part of like a group of teachers who are interested in research, I think everywhere I've worked in there have been groups of teachers, like the teacher, you know, we call ourselves the teaching and learning group, you know, <laughs> that's what it says on the tip. And we would, you know, we would look at and create original research because we wanted to, wanted to be better at what we did, we wanted to understand mm -hmm. what was going on in our classrooms, we wanted to know if I, if I, you know, if I do this again. It, you know, why, did, why did today's lesson work and, and why did it not work you know, to, yesterday? And I think that you, you enjoy your career so much more if you understand what's going on in, in your yeah. classroom and you know how to ask those questions and never look for the answers. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's that's the best thing that research does is it teaches us to ask questions. On on that note, I mean, if anyone wants to listen back, we will produce as a podcast afterwards. Uh, Ben's thrown out so many good uh, bits of research you might want to look at, so feel free to listen back after. Um, ben, I'm, I'm feeling already so full of knowledge. Let's take a break. Uh, everyone listening, we're going to play the news and we'll be back with our amazing guest, Benjamin Madison, in about eight minutes' time. See you in a minute, Ben. <laughs> Finance Foundation proudly sponsors Teachers Talk Radio for Talk Money Week. Join us from Saturday the 4th of November for a week of incredible guests and thought-provoking discussions on how teachers can talk about money in the classroom. Tune in, be inspired and empower the future generation. Teachers Talk Radio, sponsored by Just Finance Foundation, helping children manage money wisely. Visit our website for the schedule and details, justfinancefoundation.org.uk. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A record number of students from disadvantaged backgrounds have applied for the most selective UK university degrees, says a report on the BBC News website. The report is based on data released by the Universities and Colleges Admission Service, known as UCAS. The students have applied to Oxford and Cambridge and for degrees in medicine, dentistry and veterinary science. 
UCAS Interim Chief Executive Sander Crystal described the applications, which have an October deadline, as encouraging. The Sutton Trust charity, however, said that the advantage gap had hardly shifted. The data is based on a participation of local areas measure, which splits students into five groups based on how many people aged 18 and 19 in their area go on to higher education. Those from areas where the fewest numbers of young people go to university are classed as the most disadvantaged. Applications for this group are by 7% since last year, in contrast to the most advantaged areas, which is up by only 2%. However, the total number of applicants from the most advantaged areas is over 17,000, compared to a little over 3,000 from the most disadvantaged areas. Other key findings from October applications include a 6% increase in the number of UK applicants receiving free school meals, although the overall numbers of those receiving free meals is on the rise. A drop of 7% a year in 18-year-olds applying to medicine degrees and a slight drop in total numbers of international applicants. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan was in the news again this week as she told English schools that parents have a right to view the sex education materials which are being taught in schools. The announcement comes as the government is due to launch a public consultation into relationships, sex and health education. Guidance has been in place since the subject became compulsory in primary and secondary schools in September 2020. But Miss Keegan said she wanted to debunk the myth that parents cannot see what their children are being taught. Jeff Barton of Askell said he agreed with transparency on RSHE materials and that this is key but that sending the letter when some schools were on half term was slightly odd. The BBC also reports that Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, has been accused of misleading the public about the risks of social media and of contributing to a mental health crisis amongst youth. The claims were made in a federal lawsuit in the United States, but many in other countries will be following with interest. The lawsuit accuses the company of ensnaring users whilst concealing the substantial dangers of its platforms. It also said that the company had collected data on children under the age of 13 and that this breached the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Meta is contesting the lawsuit and will likely present research it says shows that teens say social media actually helps them when they are struggling. It's not the first time social media companies have faced lawsuits, but it is the first time so many attorneys general 33 in total, have signed such a suit, in addition to those already filed by families, young people and school districts. Those working with children and young people in the UK will undoubtedly be interested in the progress of the lawsuit. Dyslexia Scotland has announced on its website that former Strictly Come Dancing winner and Dyslexia Scotland ambassador Hamza Yassin will talk to an audience as part of Dyslexia Awareness Week Scotland. Yasin, who is dyslexic, became an ambassador for the charity earlier this year. He says he is passionate about sharing his story during events held in the first week in November. In a week where The Guardian reports that more than one million UK children experienced destitution last year, meaning their families could not adequately feed, clothe, clean or keep them warm, the BBC covered a story of a primary school in Peckham where most children are homeless. The school has nearly 300 pupils, 
all of whom received free uniform, trips and meals. The school conducted a survey in which most families described themselves as living in non-secure tenancies. This can mean sofa surfing with friends, living in B&B accommodation or living in hostels. Parents of children at the school spoke positively about the support they received from the school, but also focused on the toll the uncertainty took on them and their children. Meanwhile, the Guardian tells of concerns expressed by poverty campaigners, teachers and welfare workers about the damaging effects of destitution, including physical ill health, mental illness, school absence and poor behaviour. Both articles can be found online and give more details on the latest findings. Finally, Schools Week reports that as many as 1 in 10 school workers had to wait over 60 days for DBS checks last year. A Freedom of Information request showed that 2.5% of those submitted took more than 60 days to complete, more than triple the rate in 2021-22. to Jeff Barton of Askell says it all adds to the pressure that school leaders and teachers face in recruitment and reflects the widespread underinvestment in public services. A spokesperson for the DBS said neither Ofsted nor the DFE have raised any concerns about delays. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Welcome back, welcome back everybody. Uh, hope you enjoyed the news. Very impressed there. Um, Ben, what we're saying was very relevant as she was mentioning, go check out the findings. So <laughs> just showed even in our news, they're trying to encourage us to be more <laughs> research active. And as well, I've seen a massive push this week, Ben, you've probably seen around artificial intelligence and how, you know, you can now, with the help of AI, look and sound like anyone. So we need to be so cautious of, you know, the whole deep fake thing and fake news. So that's why it's so important getting back to the core of these studies ourselves, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it was really interesting to receive some input this week on um, the use of simulations uh, and potential use for simulations in education as part of our our group training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. See, we're always learning. I think the best teachers are always learners as well. (laughs) Um, Yeah, absolutely. Before we move on, one more quick unrelated question, but I want to show my listeners I'm not being hypocritical because just before you joined us today, Ben, I was saying, for me, I do not want to celebrate Christmas until the 1st of December. Like for me, I'm still in that autumn glow of, you know, pumpkin spice and autumn leaves. I don't really want to see red and green and, and tinsel everywhere till 1st of December. However, I do think mince pies should be year round. And actually during the news, I ate a puff pastry mince pie. And Ben, I just want to check where you stand on mince pies. Uh, I, where I stand on mince pies is as close to them as possible. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I, I am a terror for a mince pie with a bit of uh, cream, ideally. Mm, uh, well, heated up in the oven. Mm, yum. Good. Good. I felt no judgment from you. That's excellent. <laughs> no, no. Uh, although, I mean, the extension of Christmas is, I've mixed feelings about that. My wife and I spent a bit of time in the Philippines a few years ago and they start Christmas around about the 1st of August. Uh, what? From our recollection. What? <laughs> we, I think we saw our first Christmas shop in, in August. Um, oh, wow. Christmas, Christmas, how, how, Christmas did you, jingles. how did you oh, feel about that? Were you, time. were you, ha- were you happy was, with well, that? Or? It was a bit unusual to be that hot around Christmas 
Um, mm. But uh, I think, yeah, I, I think that we would probably get it would probably get old. But I don't think they did Halloween in the same way. So maybe there was, you know, there was just a clear run from back yeah. to, to Christmas. <laughs> they just power through. Yeah. There was nothing else to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> yeah. Know. yeah. Who knows? Maybe, maybe so. The the horrible thing the other day, I took my children trick or treating, and I did see through one window what I first thought was a Halloween decoration. I upon getting closer, I realised was a Christmas tree through the window wow. and i i was could not you... yeah what was that ben what about what well, we could what, what do you could just if you use the christmas tree as a canvas to paint, <laughs> to paint on you know then really it can be whatever whatever holiday you want can't it and it just yeah. what that does is it gives a it gives a subtle nod to the pagan origins of everything I mean, I, d I don't know if that's where the homeowner was going with that. I think it was a Christmas tree. But, but yeah, benefit of the doubt, I couldn't see it clearly. It might have just been a red and green Halloween tree. <laughs> it could have been. So before we move on, Ben, and I, I can't believe they say time flies when you're having fun. We've already only got about 12 minutes to go. I wondered Bye. if, um, as we're talking about research, are you happy to tell us more about your masters? Because I know at the start of the show, you you said that you know you did your masters. Did you get to do um, kind of a project or a study as part of that yourself? Are you happy to tell us a bit about well, what your topic yeah, was? Yeah, yeah. So I guess at the time, um, we, this was when schools were first getting interactive whiteboards. So it was um, about well, well, certainly my school was. So, when, so it was about two thousand and nine. Um, and I think I finished it in 2010. That sounds about right. And at that point, there had been uh, 50 million pounds had been spent on putting interactive whiteboards in schools. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, as far as I am aware, and I'm quite happy to be proven wrong on this one, that there wasn't a training budget to teach teachers how to use interactive whiteboards in a really, you know, uh, intelligent way. So I was interested in the use of interactive whiteboards and the associated software that went with them. And at the time, um, and the, one of the opening lines in my dissertation is along the lines of how since very few students have smartphones, um, we, we, we can take advantage of other technologies for, for kind of gauging student interactions in class. There were, there were these things that were called, the, the ones I used were called active expression. They were produced by the same, uh, an associated organisation um, the days that created the boards, so Promethean. But they were, in, in the US, they were typically called clickers. And effectively, there was when students had a handheld device and the earliest ones had um, a voting on them, like ABCD. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember them. Them, like, I remember them. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this was going to be the big thing, right? The idea of, of surveying your students. You could, it was the gamification of learning. It was monitoring, like it was, it was intervention at the point of learning. It was mm -hmm. like, it was, it was every educationalist's dream in terms of what you could do. For me in the RE classroom, I could anonymize questions about controversial issues and I could get responses immediately on my board displayed as data. Like it was mm -hmm. great. I was getting a window into the reasoning and, and thought processes of my students and it was fantastic. Um, it turns out it wasn't the next big, big, big thing because smartphones were. Um, but and, and, my, and funding, <laughs> funding issues. Yeah. yeah, big funding issues. So yeah, so what I did was really it was this it, it, this little bubble of research, uh, yeah. really focusing in on how that could be used well. But the thing is, though, although the devices themselves are, 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 I would, I think you probably struggle to find them in schools now because people would just hook up their smartphone by Bluetooth. Um, it was incredible. It really did sort of um, turbocharge my uh focus 
on knowing what's going on in my classroom. How can I get a window into that? How can I really focus on the formative assessment of how my students are doing? And then how can I turn that into like really exciting learning sequences? And I had this one of these moments that like, I, and I, I said, I, I kind of said it to a teacher in a staff room. I said, if you go along, if you go along to my lesson now, and they asked how it was going. I said, I bet that you'll find, right, even at five, it's still five minutes left of break time. I bet you'll find half my class sitting there with a device in their hands and they'll be doing my starter. And it was true. We went Yay! along to my classroom and there they were. They were all, and, and so if you're thinking about, because the self-motivated classroom, and they go, oh, let's plug Alan, Alan McLean. Oh, is it Alistair McLean? I do get mixed up sometimes. The motivated classroom was what kind of got me going about that. And how do you self-motivate students? Mm -hmm. um, oh, it was, yeah, it was great. Lots of talk about classroom climate and how to create these conditions where learning can, can, can flourish. Um, I love that. So, and so, yeah, so that, that was in the, in the that. secondary, that was secondary school. That was secondary. That was secondary. And so can I ask you then next question? And sorry, Ben, we have gone off topic now from the questions, but um, it's okay. it's um, I'm really interested how you're finding or how you found your recent transition from, and the reason I'm asking this actually is I know a lot of our listeners do get in touch with me via socials and ask, you know, if I want to be a lecturer one day, how do I do it? So how, how yeah. have you found that transition? And have you found a lot of those skills you were learning, like when you've just mentioned, you know, getting them, you know, active and everything. Have, have a lot of these skills been transferable when you're now working with adult learners? How have you found that transition? I think, I think if, you, if you immerse yourself in what works in education, then you realise that, you know, adults, children, we're all on a continuum, right? And although that there are biological changes and, and structural changes to our brains, we have at the core of ourselves the same sorts of learning aptitudes which if you are regularly immersing yourself in research you, you can't help but bump into research from other year groups and, and age groups and locations and mm -hmm. you know, geographical locations and um so i think if you've got if you if you have really invested hard in understanding how teaching and learning works then you can you can shift you can you can turn it up a notch into higher education or mm -hmm you can adapt what you're doing either from primary into secondary secondary into primary but it's not easy it's been the biggest challenge for me over the last few years was immersing myself and i'd always had some involvement in primary classroom but really kind of throwing myself into it through teacher training and then through anglia ruskin um, and, and the move like you say the step up from from teaching into higher education i mean the skills are the same because I can have somebody, and in fact, I actually have got somebody that was I, I taught I taught in a secondary school, and and I now have as an undergrad. No way! <laughs> so, so I know. What I a know small that, world! Um, That's crazy. I know, right? I was like, hang on a minute, what are you doing? Um, that sounds so like a I research project in itself. That's that. That sounds like some exactly. kind of wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's let's make sure. That, yeah. Uh, so um, I think that the the skills are are very similar. And I I was in my lecture this week, and I thought, you know what? I want to I want to throw in a bit of a, I want to I want to get everyone a bit more excited. I'm going to throw in a competition. So we had, you know, group competitions and suddenly I reminded myself, look, these are just, we're all, as humans, we've got the same sorts of drives. Mm -hmm. And so because it's higher education doesn't mean it, it needs to be uh, more uh, dry. Um, and if anything, you know, an increased emphasis on real, real life relevance. Um, I, I like to know what all of my undergrads have got planned for their futures and, and try and tailor the learning um, or tailor the examples that I use to, to, mm -hmm. to where they're heading. You know, if I've got someone who's 
really wants to get into special educational needs or is interested in getting into leadership, then I, I know I can skew things in, in that way. And it's the same thing that I would do with, with people of any age group at all. You know their priorities and then you try and give them what they want alongside what you have to give them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, definitely. And, and what for you, Ben, has been like the highlight of teaching in higher education, do you think? Um, I think partly it's the quality of questioning that you get. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you get to see people's curiosity um, peaked by certain things, uh, matched with their, their passions and their abilities, but, but also they, they then got licence to shape it. Whereas up until A-level, you've got a curriculum which needs to be covered and therefore limited licence to go off on well-informed tangents. At, in higher education, you're actively encouraged to go beyond um, and to, to think deeper and in new uh, and innovative ways. So I think that's probably what I enjoy the most is that kind of the intellectual element um, that, that is perhaps has more time afforded it. Definitely really good answer. And I'm so glad that you're here with us in the HE classroom loving life. <laughs> and uh -huh. uh, and all the marking, which for me is the downside. Oh, <laughs> yes, I, I'm, I'm sure that all the feedback that we give is really taken on board. And, and as long as there's, you know, time given to really digest that and put it into action, mm -hmm. then I'm sure it's all it's all worth it. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. But yeah, personally for me, Ben, I love everything about teaching at university. But when the marking comes in, and I think at the moment we've got uh 78 first years just on in the one course so when you see 78 assignments come in you know and they're 3,000 words long <laughs> oh that'll be a lot of caffeine it's quite daunting <laughs> isn't it it's quite it's daunting, quite daunting. But, it's, um... it takes much longer than you know just that one page in a maths book <laughs> that they used to do uh... in the primary school but I mean, swings and roundabouts, at least we're marking, you know, each each module at the end of a trimester, not marking every day, because also in the primary school, marking was the bane of my life, I must say, you know, you finish finish the day, and then you've got to mark the books, and yeah, not oh, a highlight. You know, it's all, li it's live, live marking now, live marking is, uh, there's been a really big shift towards live marking, although the, the, the um, yeah, the, the, the post, the post day marking is still very much a, a real thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree with you though we are seeing a shift like even um I went to my middle son's parents evening um last week and whereas you know they always used to have I remember Ben doing next steps marking you had to put when you marked some work at the bottom next steps you had to actually draw some steps this one school I was in it was that precise you had to draw little steps and you had to put at least three steps but I saw my son's book and just had a tick and and I was like, actually that's good enough for me like the teacher has looked at it right and and then when I spoke to him about it, obviously, you know, the conversations go on in class. And I do think, how often did those children ever read those next steps? You know, <laughs> I'd just see them. I'd see me give out the maths books and they'd just turn the page ready for the new page, ready for the new lesson. And you would think, why was I sat up to 11 p.m. marking next steps? So I think you're right. We're seeing a shift and that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got um, six more pages of notes that I wanted to talk through here. Poppy. Are we okay to run on for another hour? <laughs> I think, Ben, we definitely need you back for a second show. Would you be up for that? <laughs> I'll, I'll come back with more of a laser focus rather than all the stuff Ben wants to talk about. <laughs> no, I've loved today. I feel like I've learned so much from you already. Should we? Let's try and squeeze oh. in. I've, I've got one more question. Let's squeeze in one last question. We've got two minutes. The okay. last question I had written down... And I think this would be a really good one for, for any teachers listening. I wanted to ask you then, 
how can we put evidence into action in our practice? Oh, okay. Well, I reckon it's, it's with very subtle shifts and it's probably by looking at, oh, I could give the, the dry answer would be to look at learning objectives and, and make sure they're tailored to like, to, oh yeah, this is, you know what Poppy, this is too big, it's too big, <laughs> how could you put it into action? I reckon it's choosing something, choosing something you find interesting and testing it out. Go, go into a lesson with a hypothesis, okay, mm -hmm. someone said this works, and try it out and see if it does, and then reflect on that, you know, and I'm going to, mm -hmm. I, I, I put something out there the other day on, on a discussion that was that the human brain internalises things it encounters in three to four different ways on three to four different occasions, right, it's all about processing, and someone said to me, um, what's the evidence base for that, Ben, and I thought, oh my gosh, I have no idea. <laughs> Did you, did you say, find out? That's, that's what I do. Send it back. Find, find out. out. I'll be next you know week. What? And, yeah, and everything that I do, I think, well, I think everything that I've done has, has kind of bears that out. But you know what? Maybe that's not true. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's go into a lesson, go into a series of sequence of learning with a hypothesis that you would like to try out based on someone else's practice and quantitative or qualitative that you've come across and that you want to try out because you think that if that's true, then that mm -hmm. is going to change my world. I love that. And you know what? This has led on to my rather spicy last question. Oh. So I know you have a master's. I know you're a very experienced educator. I know you love testing a hypothesis. So it sounds to me like a PhD or an EdD should be on the horizon, Ben. What's going on? Oh, well, you know what? I, uh, I am going to be doing an EdD and I, I'm going to try to do I'm interested in coaching. Wow! I'm really interested in coaching. What are you? Have you started? Are you starting soon? No, I'm doing my PG cert at the moment, which would probably lead me on to one final thing, which is always be enrolled in some kind of course that is expanding your horizons and getting you to talk to new people who are coming at things from a perspective different to yourself. Because I think, especially in this world of social media, we surround ourselves, whether on purpose or, or accidentally, but we, we we get our own ideas fed back to us a lot. You know, our bubbles are our our. We're, we're comfortable we don't want to take ourselves outside of our comfort zone so i think that you know by being in part in in uh, being part of courses especially one bring in people from uh, outside of your your knowledge you mm -hmm. keep your eyes as open as possible your world as big as possible and, and then you get to you get yourself involved in different stuff so yeah eddie coaching yay okay ter terrifying myself in one way every day <laughs> getting into that stretch zone okay ben we will definitely have to chat after the show about having you back on maybe in a few months time you come back and update us on everything in the world of benjamin madison <laughs> wonderful well i just want to thank you so much um for your time today david has said in the chat it's been very enjoyable having you on so thank you so much and i just um give we love David here at Teachers Talk Radio. Um, he joined my fan club today as well. So thank you for joining, David. Um, and also, Ben, can you give us lots of doggy, doggy cuddles to uh, Rolo, please? Big kisses for Rolo. And um, yeah, when you when you come on, we'll also ask for a puppy update next time. <laughs> well, I hope you have a lovely weekend with him. Is he old enough to go walking yet? Has he had his jabs or is he still indoors? Uh, yeah, jabs done. He's on 15 minutes twice a day at the moment. And right now, <gasps> Oh, well, enjoy the best weekend. It's the loveliest time of year to have a puppy because it's so cosy. You can just snuggle up together. So enjoy. <laughs> enjoy the weekend. Take care.
Speak to you soon, Ben. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us here on Teachers Talk Radio. That has been my amazing guest, Benjamin Madison. Uh, You can listen back if you missed the start of the show. And I just wish you all the best, best weekend. If you're eating mince pies, solidarity, I'll be eating them right along with you. And hopefully you'll join me again in a couple of weeks' time for my next amazing guest. Take care, everyone, and speak with you soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.